Hello and welcome to the BVC Podcast. Here at Brownsburg Vineyard Church, we want you to know that we are a group of ordinary people that serve an extraordinary God. Our mission is to honor God and advance His kingdom by building disciples who will give their lives to changing the world. Whether you are local or joining us from a distance, we want to thank you for being a part of our family. To learn more about us, you can visit thebvchurch.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's message. We actually planned this. Uh, so uh, we're going to jump right into today's message this morning. We've been in a series entitled uh, How to Deal with Pain, Finding Healing in the Midst of Our Hurts. And a lot of times we'll, we'll write up a, a blurb for the series or a series goal, but this time around the series scripture, the, the scripture that we built this series around, so kind of poignantly or concisely explains the goal of this series, that we're just using that as our goal. And these are the words of the Apostle Paul that he was writing to the early church. And I think God is wanting to speak to us. This was a prayer that Paul had, and this is the purpose of this series. May God Himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole. Put you together, spirit, soul, and body and keep you fit for the coming of our master Jesus Christ the one who calls you is completely dependable if you said it he will do it so today we're going to continue this series with a message entitled the courage to be healed and we wanted to start things by having Debbie come forward and Debbie's going to share a testimony about a work of healing that God did in her life during this series and through this congregation so I just want to share with you um, my testimony from an event that happened last month during this series. And it's very personal for me and sometimes emotional, which makes sharing with you wildly terrifying. But I do have some things that I'd like to share. And I, I mostly want to be obedient to Psalm 66, 16, which says, I invite you to come and listen, those who fear the Lord, as I tell you what he has done for me. Now, God's goodness is woven throughout my life, the fabric of my life over these last 62 years in many, many ways. But I will say on April 23rd, sitting right over there, he outdid himself in that he healed me from a 12-month-long depression. So I want to tell you just a little bit about that. Um, During the sermon that day, the title was called Permission to Grieve. And Dennis taught about accumulated grief, and the Holy Spirit said to me, Debbie, this is you. And so he got my attention, and that over the past 12 months, I've had about four significant events occur throughout time, and any one of those would be like, you know, fine, that's life, you just push through. But it was the accumulation of them that caused me to then begin with each one to spiral a little further into depression. Now, over those 12 months, I did all the things. I prayed and fasted, memorized scripture, uh, talked with my counselor on several occasions, um, took antidepressants, did everything. And this depression cloud just continued to spiral. But on that day, on December, on April 23rd, um, I was healed from that depression. Now, I won't go into the specifics about what happened that day. 
or the 12 months leading up to that, but I do want to take just a minute and tell you why this is so significant for me. Just a little bit about my spiritual backstory and upbringing. Um, so healing is not, has not really been part of my spiritual background. I was raised in a very loving Christian home. We attended the Baptist church during all of that time. And those of you that don't know, there are Baptist churches and there are Baptist churches. I went to that kind. I knew all the rules and followed them to the T. So fast forward four years ago, the Lord brings us through a sweet friend to this church. And so now this Baptist girl finds her hanging out with all you vineyard people. And now I am one. <laughs> so for this recovering Baptist to stand here today and publicly talk about healing, that may be the biggest miracle of all. Now the last thing I want to say though, um, for those of you who are fans of The Chosen like I am, during season one, Mary Magdalene shared her own healing from her own demons, and in this quote she says, I once was one way, and now I am completely different. And the thing that happened was him, and that's what happened to me. Great testimony. Let's give her a big hand. Just uh, two quick things, and then I want to pray for you. First of all, what I took away from that testimony is she looked fantastic for 62, and she looked way younger than her husband. So that's the first thing I took away from the testimony. And second of all, uh, that as we'll see really next week when we conclude this series, that the full cycle of healing is when God uses us to bring healing to the other people from the very places that were once wounded in our life. And so I'm just going to pray for Debbie that God would not only continue this work of healing in her life, but that this healing will be a source of healing for other people, that she'll share this testimony and people will be healed through it. Because Lord knows there are plenty of Baptists who need to hear this story. So we love our Baptist brothers. So God, I thank you for Debbie. I thank you for her heart. God, I thank you for her doing everything right, just her faithfulness and her obedience to you. But I also thank you for the Holy Spirit who just broke in and said, let me show you my power. And so I thank you, God, for breaking the chains of depression in her life. And I pray, God, that you would make her more than a conqueror and that you would send her out to the broken, to the depressed, to those who feel weighed down by life, and that she'll be able to share this testimony. We just pray your anointing on this testimony that many may be set free from it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Deb. All right, great testimony. We love to um, share testimonies around here about what God is doing, and He is doing plenty of things. So, um, our scripture for today comes from from John five, and just by way of background, Jesus was coming into Jerusalem. There were a lot of activities and festivals happening, so it was a there was a buzz about the city. And and as he's making his way into the city, he passes this place called the Pool of Bethesda. Uh, which for those of you who are in Brownsburg, you know, that's a, a Baptist pool. Um, and so, uh, but ironically, in this pool, an angel would come on occasion. It, it was like this supernatural pool. The angel would come and stir the waters, and whoever was first in the water would be healed. And this man had been laying there for 38 years. And that's kind of where we pick up the dialogue between Jesus and this man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. 
Because when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to them, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool when the water is stirred, and while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. In a couple weeks, we're going to be starting a new series entitled The Questions That God Asks. And one of the unique things about every occurrence in the Bible where God asks somebody a question is that the question that God asks is never the question that you would expect Him to ask given the situation. His question always catches people off guard. Like, why why are you asking that? That's just the nature of the questions that God asks. So we're going to be doing this series, and each message in the series will be about a time that God asks somebody a question. And what was really behind that question? And in our story today, it's kind of similar in that the question that Jesus asked the man, do you want to be healed, could be considered a very insensitive question. What do you mean, do I want to be healed? Like, like who wouldn't want to be healed? It could be considered somewhat of an inappropriate question. Like, it's not very kind to ask somebody that question. And when you consider the the obvious facts, the apparent facts, you would think the answer would be just as obvious. This man wasn't just like a little bit lame. For those of us who who are getting a little bit older, you know, your knees start to hurt you or things, you can't do things like you used to before and so you're not quite at your optimum athletic performance. That wasn't the case with this man. It wasn't like he just had a sore knee or a stiff back. No, this man was completely disabled. He was so infirmed, he was such an invalid, that he couldn't even kind of muster the physical strength to like flop into a pool. In other words, everybody who saw him knew that he was paralyzed. And Jesus saw and knew that he was paralyzed. In addition to that, it says Jesus knew he had been sick for 38 years. 38 years is enough time for you to have gone to every doctor, every specialist. Have you tried every home remedy, listened to everybody's advice from their aunt or their grandma on how to fix this thing? He had done everything that he could have done. And a long time ago, he discovered that there was no cure. And so, of course, he wanted to be healed. The other thing that Jesus would have been fully aware of that we don't quite realize within this story because of the historical context is that in this culture, disability meant poverty. In this culture, there was no such thing as social security or no such thing as as any type of social program that would have provided for the needs of a disabled person. So his disability had him locked in a place of poverty and that would have been just as apparent to the naked eye. Finally, the obvious thing is that instead of hanging out anywhere else, this man hung out every day at a pool that provided healing. He just couldn't get in. Of course, he wanted to be made well. We're going to pull out from this story kind of one main observation that I think 
is really particular to this story and particular to this message about having the courage to be healed, and that is of the fact that the man had been infirm for 38 years. That's going to be a central point to my message, and I think it's a central point to this story. Throughout this series, I've said that there are many different types of pains and hurts that we can have in our life, that there are some pains and hurts that, that they happen, but we get over them quickly, we just move on to the next thing. There are, there are other pains and hurts that they just don't go away so quickly. There are some things that kind of shock us, and, and, and we, we can get over them, and then some pains just lock us up and stick with us for a long time. So sometimes our hurts last longer than we ever expected them. Sometimes the pain that happens in our life goes a lot deeper than we ever thought pain could happen. Sometimes the weight of rejection is so excruciating that it breaks us into pieces. Sometimes we find ourselves becoming someone that we never thought we would become. Sometimes we find ourselves angry and other people because of the wounds that have happened in our life. And sometimes we hold this resentment in our very soul. And so when we carry that type of pain, when that type of pain that we carry for some time is in our life, then that type of pain will ultimately begin to define our sense of identity, our sense of security, and our sense of reality. Now, Gwen and I like going to, to see artwork and going to museums and art galleries, and it's been interesting to see some of the incredible artwork that people can do in the masterpieces. It's, it's incredible just to look, and you can look at a masterpiece and just appreciate the detail and the skill and the artistry that it takes to do that. But given my choice between studying art and looking at art, I would much rather look at people. I love studying people. I love getting to know people. I like making friends. I like finding out people's stories. I think there's very few things as intriguing as sitting down and getting to know somebody's life story and getting to hear what, what has brought them to the point that they're in and, and what has made them who they are and, and, and the ups and the downs and the pains and the joys and the sorrows. And, and I think each and every one of us as, as a person, we're kind of this collaboration or we're kind of this collage of, uh, of just events in our life. And a whole person or a healed person, when you take a look at them, it's just like this masterpiece. You see strokes here and strokes there, and it's all put together. And you kind of get the sense in their life, this idea of Romans 8.28, that God works all things together for good. And, and so a whole person says, hey, here are all of the things that have happened in my life, and there's contrast in there, and it's a whole story. A hurt person... The hurt in their life so dominates the picture, so dominates the canvas that everything else is pushed to the fringes. It's like the hurt in their life is painted over top of all other good things in their life. And so their, their sense of identity becomes defined by this pain. So much so that you, you can't almost recognize any of the good things that have happened in their life. And so hurts 
can impact our sense of identity. Impact can, or a, a pain can impact our sense of security. You know, whenever we get hurt, when we ever have some type of injury to our body, we have all types of aids that, that help with that. If it's a cut, you'll put a Band-Aid on it. If it's a bro- broken bone, you'll put a cast on it or a sling on it. Crutches. We have all of these devices that when we get hurt, we employ these devices, but they're all meant to be temporary, right? You wear the cast for as long as it takes for the, for the bone to be healed, or you wear the band-aid until the, the cut closes up. And all of these things, they, they promote healing, and they're good, but they're all temporary. The idea is that at some point, those things are going to be taken off. The problem with woundedness is that we do the same thing with our emotional wounds. We use these devices to protect that area that was just injured. The problem is with our emotional mechanisms and our defense mechanisms is those things become permanent in our life. And they don't ever leave. And so our defense mechanisms lock us in the place and we can't ever escape. Our pain can impact and define our sense of reality. One of the things I love the most about doing international traveling and going to places like Africa is that it completely changes your perspective of life. As much as I enjoy being here on Sunday morning, I can't be here on Sunday morning without thinking about my brothers and sisters in the Ivory Coast who are worshiping this morning under much different circumstances than us, paying a much greater price. And so doing that type of travel just broadens your perspective in life. And I think that makes a a healthy person. What happens when we are wounded is it makes us incredibly myopic. What happens when we're wounded is we lose our peripheral vision. We lose our perspective of everything else. We have no room to see other people, which is why hurt people hurt people, because they don't even see that they're there. So what our hurts do is it just narrows our reality to our own pain. And we can't see past our pain. And so the real question that Jesus was asking the lame man was not do you want to be healed, but what he was asking him is do you have the courage to be someone that you haven't been in 38 years? Do you have the courage to leave behind certain personality traits and certain parts of your identity that have been formed and fashioned out of your illness? Do you have the courage to get up from that mat and be someone different? Do you have the courage to do that? Because a healed man acts totally different than an infirmed man. Do you have the courage to do that? Do you have the courage to step behind the, the walls of security and the defense mechanisms and the safe places that you have created in your mind and in your life that keep you from being hurt anymore? Do you have the courage to step behind that? Do you have the courage to see life in a way that you haven't seen it in 38 years? That was the question that Jesus was asking the man, and I believe that's the question that God is asking us this morning. Do you have the courage to be healed? Do you have the courage to say, you know what, I have been wounded in my life, and because of those wounds I have become someone. And I know that God wants to change those things in me. 
Do you have the courage to let God bring about transformation in your life? Do you have the courage to say, you know what, I have adopted some safety mechanisms in my life, some defense mechanisms in my life. I've hid behind some walls. I don't want to hide behind them anymore. Do you have the courage to step out from behind the places that have kept you safe? Do you have the courage to take your eyes off of yourself, trust that God is going to take care of you, and step back and bring your perspective broad enough that you can start thinking about other people and seeing a world that is beyond your own pain. Do you have the courage to do all of that? I believe the lesson for today is that if we want to be healed, we need to have the courage, like the lame man, to walk away from our pain and into the promises that God is giving us. And so today we're just going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what it means and what it looks like to have the courage to walk away from our pain. The courage to be someone that we haven't been in 38 years. And the first thing I want to talk to you about is courageously walking into a new identity. We use this word identity a lot in the church. It's a major theme and concept in the Bible. We have baptisms coming up in a, in a couple weeks, and, and, and baptisms may be one of the most tangible expressions of, of identity because what we believe in baptism is, is who we are when we're standing in the water is different than who we are when we come up out of the water, right? That is what baptism is. It's, it's, a, it's a symbolism of, of Christ dying and being resurrected. And so when we go into water, the water, we come up a whole new creation. And so this idea of identity is like central to Scripture. And so when we talk about identity, what we're talking about is the fact that God has uniquely designed each and every one of us in this room. Those middle schoolers who, who are in here and, and not out in, in the garage today, I want you to hear that. God uniquely designed you. The Bible tells us that you are perfectly made, fearfully and wonderfully made. So God has uniquely designed each and every one of us. We have a unique identity, and within our identity, we have a unique capacity. In other words, God not only designed you to be who you are, He designed you to be to, with this capacity to be the best of who you are. And that's the goal of life, is to be, to be the best version of who God is created us to be, right? But, when our hurts go unhealed, it causes our identity or our capacity to be diminished. When we are living in a place of woundedness, when we have unresolved pain, when we have unforgiveness, when we have anger, when things that have happened around us have, have hurt us, and wounded us and broken us. We can't be everything that God has called us to be. We can't live at the capacity that God wants. I didn't have this in my notes. This is just an aside. But this is my pastoral heart speaking. There is nothing I want more for the people in this congregation than to have the freedom to live into the full capacity of their identity be able to say nothing is holding me back. Fear is not holding me back. Shame is not holding me back. Guilt is not holding me back. Insecurity is not holding me back. I am firing on all cylinders. I am living and being who God has called me to be. I I believe that is the purpose 
And the role of the church in a believer's life is to not only help you recognize that and realize that, but to come around you and support you and push you into that. To help free you up and liberate you from the things that keep you from reaching your capacity and and to help breathe into you and breathe into you the things that will help you reach that capacity. I think that's the pastoral ministry, that's the ministry of the church. So, when we have wounds, we can't achieve that. And so instead of having the freedom to be everything that God has called us to be, living in the full capacity of our life, being able to enjoy life as, as the Bible calls us to, our identity becomes defined by the actions of others. And we let the events in our lives and the actions of other people define our identity and define our capacity instead of letting God do that. You could write a list of a hundred things, but here are just a few things which happen to our identity when we're wounded. When we carry woundedness and hurt around, we take on an identity of a powerless person. It's like we're a victim and we just say, oh, you know, it's just, I, I, I can't. You know, I, I can't change things. These things just happen. There's nothing I can do about it. And we just take on this personality of powerlessness, which is not at all the personality that Scripture calls us to be. What happens is when we carry around our woundedness, we, instead of being engaged and attuned and, and connecting with people, what we do is we withdraw because we say, oh man, I've been hurt. And the last thing I want to do is be hurt again. So I'm going to just take a step back. And we might do that physically, emotionally. We might do that imperceptibly. We might not even realize that we're doing it. But our identity will be defined by kind of just this emotional or relational withdrawnness. We'll become fearful. We'll take on self-pity. We'll feel sorry for ourselves. We may, in, in an effort to, to, to not let people see our weaknesses or to see our insecurities, we may say, well, I'm going to be proud. I'm going to project this image of someone strong. I'm going to project this image of somebody capable because I don't want to let them see my weaknesses because if they see my weaknesses, I'm only going to be hurt again. So we become consumed with ourselves. We have no bandwidth for anyone else. We can become aggressive. Have you ever had this happen? Where, where you come across a person who punches you, literally or figuratively, in the nose for no good reason, you didn't do anything to them, and you later find out that the only reason they were aggressive to you is because they've been hurt so many times in the past that they've decided that I'm going to hurt people before they have a chance to hurt me. You know there's people who walk around that way? Who've been hurt so often that they say, I'm just going to hurt people before they have a chance to hurt me. And that can happen if we carry around our hurts. We can grow angry and anxious and insecure. We can be seeking attention. Critical people are wounded people. Never meet a critical person. You can bet that they have been heavily criticized in their life. And the only way for them to feel good about themselves is if they level the playing field. And they pull you down to the level that they've been brought down to. And these are all the identity of a wounded person, and none of them are the identity that God has called us to live. And so instead of being a byproduct of God's goodness, we become a byproduct of the pains and the wounds that other people have inflicted in our lives. Maybe the one thought in this whole message that may be worth the most is this. That I don't think any of us in the room, including myself, especially myself, 
realize just how much of our identity, our present identity, is a derivative or a byproduct of how much pain we're carrying around. Here's what I mean by that. We're not great at self-awareness or self-reflection. That's, that's not the strong point of humans. Without the Holy Spirit, most of us can't do that at all. And so because we've been carrying around these pains, because we have, as, as Deb said, that these accumulated pain and we kind of get used to it, we don't realize how much of our behavior, how much of our thought life, how much of our communication, how much of our conflict resolution, how much of we, we resolve differences, how much of all of that is influenced by the pain in our life. And how much of who we are today is a byproduct of the pain that has happened in our life. And it's all of those things that God is wanting to deal with in our life. See, God doesn't just want to heal your pain. He wants to transform your personality. He doesn't just want to take the pain away. He wants to make you into something new. The series Scripture, it reads, May God Himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole and put you together spirit, soul, and body. God is wanting to do that in your life. He is wanting to, to get His hands around those parts of your identity and those parts of your personality that are connected to the pain in your life. He's saying, hey, I want to change the pain. But I'm also going to have to change the behavior. I'm going to have to change the personality. And so when Jesus invited the lame man to pick up his mat and walk, he wasn't just offering him healing, he was offering him transformation. He says, I can not only make you healed, but I can make you a person that you haven't been in 38 years. You know, it's interesting, again, something contextual to this period of time. It was the belief of the religious establishment that those people who were sick, ill, especially those people who were completely paralyzed, were in that condition because of the judgment of God. Some of you may have come from denominations who suggest this, that your sickness is a result of God condemning you. And so imagine being amongst the sickest out there, where everybody can look at you and see how sick you are, and imagine being that condi- in that condition in a culture that equates sickness with sin, rejection, abandonment, and judgment of God. And imagine how believing that would affect your personality. And so what was happening here was much more than just a physical healing. It was a complete transformation. I have seen in my life people who chose to stay wounded because they did not have the courage to be transformed. So this is just the way I've always been. It was safer for them. It was more familiar. It was who they knew themselves to be. They did not have the courage to believe that they could be anyone else. And so they not only stayed wounded, but they stayed in the identity that they helped were. I want you to know today that God not only wants to heal us from our hurts, He's wanting to transform our identities, but it's going to take courage for us to say, God, what part of who I am is a byproduct of the wounds in my life? And if we need to talk about those things in order for me to be healed, then I have the courage to believe that you can change those things. 
second thing I want to talk about is courageously walking into a new security. It's interesting how as human beings we have such an incredible attraction to that which is familiar to us. No matter how amazing of a vacation you go on, some just exquisite, beautiful, tropical place, you just have the time of your life. Every time you get home, the first night that you're home, and you crawl into bed, and you wrap your covers around you, and you lay your head on your very own pillow, you go, oh, it's good to be home, right? There's something that we love uh, about, about the familiar things. We were so attracted to that familiarity because I think in our minds, familiarity equals safety. When we're in familiar surroundings, we feel that we're safe. And so what happens in our woundedness is we build these defense mechanisms, we build these walls of security around us, we build these um, boundaries of protection, right? So we build all of these fortresses around ourselves, and then we live behind them, or we live inside of them. And we get used to living in that place of of protection, of self-protection. And we live there for so long that it becomes so very familiar to us. And so we, we equate what is familiar with what is safe. So when God calls us out from that place, it can sometimes cause us fear. Sometimes mean, oh God, you're calling me to a very scary place. Because all of these defense mechanisms make me feel very safe. What happens to us is even though we build those defense mechanisms and safety walls to protect us from further pain, eventually those safety mechanisms and defense walls keep us held as prisoners. And even though we wish we could live outside of those limitations, we wish that we could live beyond those things we can't escape from. And what we built to protect us now holds us as a prisoner. And so when we make vows and we say, I will never trust somebody again, I'll never allow somebody into my heart again. You know, there's a lot of people right now who says, I'll never go back to church again because what happened to me there. And we make all of these vows to protect ourselves, but in doing so, we cut off all kinds of options and blessings that God has in our lives. We say to ourselves, you know what, I'm not going to take that risk again. And we think we're being safe by limiting our risk, but what we're doing is we're limiting our life. As I said earlier, we withdraw and we withdraw and we step back and it becomes so familiar that we can't move past that point. Then all of a sudden we'll find ourselves in a position where we go, you know what, I really want to engage with people. I really want to have friendships. I really want to love wholeheartedly, but I'm stuck here. And we find ourselves locked in that place of security. Another defense mechanism that we have is where we say, you know what? I have been hurt by the disappointments in my life. I've believed before. I've hoped before. And I've only been disappointed. And those disappointments have caused me pain. So what we do is we adopt a, a negative outlook on life. A, a, limited, uh, a limited hope or expectation. And so what we do is, is we just convince ourselves, well, it, it's got to rain today. Something's got to go wrong. And so we're always lowering our expectation because if we don't expect much, then we won't be disappointed much. 
And maybe some of you here can identify with kind of that negative outlook. Something bad is always going to happen, and you adopt that because it's a less of a letdown when it does. The problem is the weight of that starts to crush you. And the weight of that negativity starts to rob you of your life. What Jesus offered the lame man wasn't just healing, but it was freedom from all those self-imposed limitations on life. And so when Jesus said to the lame man, get up and take your bed and walk, what he was saying is that you're healed and you're free. You're free to live life. You're free to take risks again. You're free to hope again. You're free to not have to worry about getting hurt anymore. I'm here to do that for you. He's saying the same thing to us today. God is here not only to heal our wounds, but to set us free from the prisons of protection that we have built. I was here yesterday, kind of going over and praying over this message. I really felt that there was something prophetic about this idea and about this point. But I believe that there's some of us in the room today who know that we are living behind walls of protection and that we have employed and adopted safety mechanisms and defense mechanisms. And we want so badly to live beyond them, but we can't. We're stuck. And I believe that God is here today to free us from those places. In particular, and this is specific to a few people, I think that there are some marriages in here today where as a husband and wife there has been pain in the marriage, and as a result of that pain, each one of you have taken a step back. I just can't be hurt anymore. And so instead of an intimate, integrated marriage, it's a marriage that has been separated and separated and separated. Because it's safer. And God is saying, I want to bring healing to that marriage and I also want to bring freedom that you as a couple can re-engage like you were meant to. So we're going to have prayer ministry at the end of this service. And if that's you, I would encourage you to receive prayer for that. Here's the last thing, and very quickly, so we can get outside and you can handle this. Having the courage to be healed means courageously walking into a new reality. Every movement of any kind, social, economic, religious movement of any kind, is fueled by something. Something fuels that movement. It's a passion, it's a, it's a principle, it's a philosophy. Something fuels that movement. In the case of Christianity... Christianity is fueled by the expectation, you might call it hope or faith, Christianity is fueled by the expectation that something better or something good is going to happen. At the core of the Christian faith is this idea that God is good, God is going to be good, and God is working all things out to good. On the grand and the largest stage, that is that, that uh, in, in this life is going to end and there's going to be something good, there's going to be something better for us to go to, right? That's the Christian faith. We are looking forward to a better outcome. But even day to day, we wake up and we say, God, your mercies are new every morning. You're going to be good. And so the whole Christian faith is really built around and defined by this expectation of good things. And as followers of God, we live in this perpetual reality, or at least we're called to, we live in this per- perpetual reality that something good is going to happen today. Every Sunday morning we come here and we say something good is going to happen here today. And then when it does, we have people like Debbie come up and say, hey, something good happened in my life. 
But living that perpetual life of expectation and faith requires courage for a couple of reasons. One, because having faith and expectation of something good happening means you're going to have to live with the fact that that good thing doesn't always happen as quickly as what you expected. And so you have to have courage to wake up one more day and I said, I'm still believing for God's goodness. Twelve months Debbie was dealing with that spirit of depression. Twelve months. And you heard what she said. And bless her heart and bless her upbringing in the Baptist church that taught her perseverance and taught her Christian disciplines. But for 12 months, every day, Debbie got up and expected God to do something. And she had the courage to believe that it was going to happen this day. And it didn't happen that day. And it didn't happen that day. 365 days she got up expecting and having the faith for God to do something great. And it wasn't until a year later... The boom, it happened. But for 365 days, she had to have the courage to wait for that. And so expecting God to do something requires great courage. And for those of us who have been hurt for 38 years, for those of us who have been carrying wounds from our childhood or past marriages or really critical moments in our life, and we've been carrying that around, it takes courage to wake up every day and say, you know what, it's still here, but I believe God is going to heal that. It also takes great courage because sometimes the good thing that we are expecting to happen doesn't happen. And sometimes the good thing that we're expecting to happen here in this life doesn't happen until the life to come. Jesus said in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you might have perfect peace. In the world you will have tribulation and distress and disappointment and delays and suffering, but be courageous, be confident and undaunted, be filled with joy, I have overcome the world. My conquest is accomplished, my victory is abiding. See, the difference between a healed person and a hurt person is that the healed person has sufficient faith and sufficient expectation to wake up every day, sufficient courage to wake up every day and say, today is going to be the day. And that takes courage. A hurt person wakes up and they don't have the courage to keep on believing for that thing. church that I pastored before this one in D.C., it was a larger church and there were a number of pastors on staff. And when I first came on staff, there was a the senior and the founding pastor, a worship pastor and a youth pastor. And I came on to help um, start the uh, small group ministry and the discipleship ministries. And so I was, I was doing that and I was struggling to get it off the ground. And one of the biggest obstacles of getting this ministry off the ground is that the lead pastor, the worship pastor, and the youth pastor refused to be part of a life group. So I remember one day I was sitting in, in our office. We were having a meeting and I was in tears. I was like, guys, I can't do this. I'm trying and I'm trying and I'm trying. And I can't get life groups off the ground because you guys refuse to be part of it. And it's, it's like you guys are afraid to really be in relationship. And I'm sure we've all had those moments in life where somebody says something and it gets burned into your mind like verbatim. Like you remember to the word what was said. So when I said that to you guys, I said it's like you're afraid of being hurt lead senior pastor looked at me and he said, Dennis, he said, wait until you've been in ministry as long as I have and you will be as hurt as I am. Exactly those words. What had happened in his life is he had been hurt so often in the church that he could not see a reality 
that did not include being hurt again. For sometimes we've been hurt so badly, so deeply, that we just expect to be hurt again. I want to close with this observation, and I didn't really see this in this story before preparing this message. When Jesus came up to the lame man, and he, he said to him, he said, you, you know, pick up your mat and walk. What you notice is that Jesus did not pick the man up himself. It's interesting, if you remember the story of Peter and John, when they went to the temple and prayed, and there was a lame man, silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. It said that Peter gave him his hand and he pulled him up. But that is not what happened in this story. And that is significant. Because I want you to think about this. And you may never have thought about that. This man was in some type of state of paralysis. Such great paralysis that he couldn't even flop himself in the pool. So that meant, that meant that he was in this type of position. Clearly his legs couldn't move. And so Jesus said, stand up, which seems normal to us. But imagine that you have been laying down for 38 years and your toes had not moved in 38 years. Your ankles had not moved in 38 years. The muscles in your hamstrings and your quads and your hip flexors had not moved in 38 years. Your abs had not caused you to sit up in 38 years. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, stand up. If we could slow the camera down to that very moment where Jesus says those words and the man is lying on the ground, what we would see is he had a decision to make. He could have looked at Jesus and said, are you kidding me? These legs have not worked in 38 years. They're not ever going to work. He could have lacked the courage to see a reality other than what he had experienced for 38 years. But when Jesus said, stand up, I wonder if maybe what happened, the guy said, well, let me try to wiggle my big toe. Let's start small. And maybe he wiggled his big toe and said, did that just happen? Did my toe just move? And then maybe he like wiggled his ankle. Am I seeing things? 38 years his body had not moved. But at some point, he had the courage to do something that he hadn't done in 38 years. And he moved his leg. And then he moved his other leg. And then he moved the rest of his body. And with each movement of his body, it was an expression of courage. It was an expression of expectation. He did something that had not happened in 38 years. And it took great courage to do it. What I believe is that God is asking some of us in this room that we to do things we haven't done in 38 years. He's asking you to do some things that you have long given up hope on doing. And that the hurts in your life has caused pain and caused you to give up expecting anything different. But God is saying it can be different. What has not moved in 38 years can move today. And that's what He wants to do. But it requires you and I to have the courage to wiggle our big toe, to believe that something else can happen in our life. This story could have ended much different. This man could have said, it's not going to happen. And he could have never moved and he could have stayed in that position. But God's not only offering to heal our hurts, but he's inviting us to have courage.
death and walk and to live a holy, different life. Let me encourage the worship team to come forward now. The problem with pain is that it not only causes hurt, causes a, a physical sensation of pain, but the other problem is that it robs us of life. That pain keeps us from living life. And the longer that pain is around, the more paralyzed by our pain we get. And so what God wants to do is He wants to step into our life and heal us of our pain, but it may require us to wiggle a toe. To have the courage to believe that something can happen that hasn't happened in a long time. And so I've been praying this morning that God would give us the courage to believe things that we have long given up believing on. That God would allow us to step behind, behind, out from behind walls of security, defense mechanisms that we put, and allow us to risk again, to live again, to love again, to live at the capacity that is truly our identity. Stand with me, if you will, if the prayer team wants to come forward. This is going to close the service with this song, and this is a time where we really engage with God. And if for you, anything in this message has spoken to you and you sense that God wants to do a work in your life, I would encourage you to come forward and receive prayer. And maybe in coming forward and receiving prayer, that is your wiggling of the toe. That is your saying, I'm tired. I'm tired of, of living in this pain and living behind these walls. And so I would encourage you, if anything that I shared this morning touched your heart, come forward to receive prayer. If any of the couples who are here that that spoke to about each of you stepping further and further away, then I encourage you to come forward. God, God wants to heal marriages today. So God, I thank you for your healing. And, and God, in as much as we need the courage to let you transform us and give us that courage this morning in any way that we need to have the courage to step behind and out of those places that are familiar and safe to us, give us courage to do that today. In any way that we need to have the courage to expect something to happen that hasn't happened in a long time, give us that courage. So sing this song and come forward and receive prayer.